Hi, everybody. It's Dave. Today is Monday, March 22nd, 2021, and this is a new episode of the Hunstonian Hour. On today's episode of the podcast, we will be talking about home recording, as many of you have also been doing so in your homes uh, last year of COVID and, and quarantine and whatnot related to the pandemic has uh, forced many of us to retreat into our home studios and or build them. Um, I actually got into home recording about five, six years ago uh, and recently about a year and a half ago started again and really the last few months I've really gotten into it again. So um, I hope you enjoy today's episode and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, we're going to be having a discussion about home recording, and I am thinking this will be a timely episode. There are a few uh, different ones I wanted to do, but I decided to do this one first because um, I'm recording this late Sunday, early morning, and this past weekend I was. Uh, doing a lot of recording and in my DAW, which stands for, in case you don't know, digital audio workstation. So I thought a lot of people would probably relate to that since there's a lot of that going on right now. Um, people working in their home studios and uh, musicians, especially, but also, you know, people, there are non-musical people doing podcasts such as this, even though I'm a musician and I, of targeting musicians mainly. Um, I'm sure there's listeners out there who are not musicians and also want to get into podcasting. So um, I'll not to be too meta here, <laughs> but I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But I mainly want to focus on recording music. But record you can record any audio source. You can record podcasts, you can record spoken word for audiobooks, um, you can record a reel for voice acting if you want to break into the voiceover industry. Um, all of that is possible with uh, several pieces of gear that you'll need, and I'll get into that. Um, I've, I first want to start out with my background. So, um, you know, my name is David Hunston. I'm a native of the Phoenix area. Um, I was born in 1981 in the, on Veterans Day. So, uh, as of, uh, as of right now, as of late March of 2021, I'm 39 years old. Um, I started playing drums in 1992. I was inspired by, uh, well, my, my dad had a love of classic rock like the Beatles. And then I, for me, my Ed Sullivan, you know, show moment, I call it, was when I saw Nirvana on TV and I saw Dave Grohl playing the drums and I, we went out for my niece's uh, birthday about a month ago and they played Nirvana and my dad was like, oh, cool, Nirvana. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, Dave Grohl, right? And I'm like, yeah. And I said, yeah, Dave Grohl's a big reason I got in, I started playing the drums. He's like, oh, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. So, you know, that was a kind of a cool father-son moment. But anyway, um, I digress, and this is only the second episode of the podcast officially. Um, so, if you have 
you haven't noticed yet, I uh, tend to do it a lot. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's what's got me into music. And then um, I did do a bunch of recording up until about, I'd say, uh, I think I really started in earnest about 2013, uh, which was shortly after I kind of retired from playing semi a drum semi-professionally in local Phoenix area bands. And um, I did go to a couple of recording studios. Um, the main one around here is, I believe it's still around in Gilbert, which is a suburb of Phoenix, uh, SER Studios. Uh, it was a pretty nice place. And I had to play like a really awesome mahogany, like Gretsch drum kit. It had like a 26 inch, like John Bonham size bass drum. And it had like a big, you know, probably a 14 inch, like, Well, uh, mounted tom it was probably mounted on a I don't know if it was mounted on a tom mount or a snare stand or tom stand I think it was a virgin bass drum so there was no tom mounted tom holder rather uh, drilled into the shell um, virgin bass drums with, with no hole in the in the shell for toms is those are prized among drummers supposedly get better resonance I don't know if it's ever been proven but that's what they say um, I had a pearl kit I used to own Prestige Session Select that had a virgin bass, and somebody told me never drill a hole in it, so I had to use Tom Stands, which I didn't really like. But anyway, again, I digress. <laughs> so um, anyway, I got to use an awesome kid in that studio, and that was my first real chart recording. I also recorded uh, in a band about a year previous to that, uh, SER, that was like 2010, so it was over a decade ago. It's 2021 now. About a year or two, actually two, I think 2008, around then, um, I was in a band called Corporate America with uh, K's where the C's usually are, and I was playing with uh, someone, a local, uh, a, a husband and wife, and uh, it was a trio. The 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 husband, actually at the time, I think they're married now, but at the time they were a boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, the guy was the bass player and the woman was the uh, singer and guitar player and I was the drummer and uh, we recorded with this local guy in Phoenix named John Weil who um, actually I recorded a few drum tracks and then like a probably within a year I left the band because I had uh, I was working as a car salesman at the time that didn't last more than a few months but uh, it was the middle of the recession I couldn't sell any cars so <laughs> but um I, I did get to record with John Well, and I've actually uh, heard about him, like in the New Times and stuff. I've heard, uh, you know, seen him written up, and he's worked with other bands. And he was a very cool guy. It was cool working with him. And I don't remember the name of the person I worked with at SER Studios, but he was also very cool as well. And I remember thinking, you know, it would be really awesome to go to work every day in a recording studio. And part of me is always wanted to be an engineer as far as like audio engineer. Like I've always wanted to make records. I've always geeked out over uh, producers and uh, who engineered what, like uh, mixers too, like, you know, uh, Andy Wallace uh, mixed that Slayer record. What was it? Seasons in the Abyss or something. And I think Nirvana was really a big fan of the mixing job he did. And they they wanted him to do Nevermind, I think. I remember reading that somewhere. And also, I just remember growing up and, like, the producers, I really, you know, being a hard rock metal kid, um, Terry Date is the first one that comes to mind. He worked with uh, Soundgarden, um, pre-Super Unknown. I think it was it definitely Bad Motor Finger, and I think he also did Louder Than Love, which was 89, the record before that. And uh, obviously Michael Beidhorn did Super Unknown, um, which I my, the previous episode two weeks ago was about that whole record and how much it's influenced me. So obviously... Huge Soundgarden fan here. I'm going to talk about it. Um, 
And also uh, Terry Date produced uh, the Pantera records. I was a big Pantera fan. Uh, Vinnie Paul was one of my favorite drummers after uh, Nick Benza and Dave Lombardo. Uh, Nick Benza, Megadeth, those those records like Rest in Peace, and Countdown Extinction, Euthanasia, uh, where Marty Friedman uh, also played lead guitar. And, uh, you know, also... Uh, Vinny, you know, Vinny was one of my favorite drummers and obviously Dave Lombardo was Slayer. Slayer! <laughs> uh, Pete Sandoval of the Death Metal band Morbid Angel. I wasn't in a lot of Death Metal as a teen, mostly Morbid Angel and Cannibal Corpse, but Pete Sandoval, they called him Pete the Feet. He was just a fucking phenomenal double bass, uh, but great hands too. He didn't get enough credit for his hands. Most of the attention was on his feet. So, uh, but just growing up, you know, heavy metal, you know, Terry Date, uh, produced Pantera, Soundgarden, Deftones, uh, I think Prong, um, was also kind of groove metal. Um, there's others I know I'm forgetting, probably some obvious ones that Terry Date produced. He's to me, he's like the hard rock metal guy, producer guy. Uh, Rick Rubin, obviously producing Slayer. Um, and real quick, I want to talk about like, he was, before he started his long famous partnership with Slayer, he was pretty much just a hip hop guy. He was a pretty good hip hop producer and he saw the Slayer and he went to one of their shows and he's like, I want to record you guys. At first they were skeptical and you know, uh, I guess his fellow uh, colleagues or, you know, uh, cohorts or whatever, uh, fellow hip-hop producers, you know, he was like a New York hip-hop guy or something, I think. And his fellow hip-hop producers was like, dude, Rick, you're, you're fucking crazy. What are you doing? This is a heavy metal band. You don't know anything about heavy metal. You never even worked with a rock band before. You record, hit, you, you record rap and hip-hop. You record rappers, not metal bands you know you don't know how to record guitars and live drums and bass guitar you know screaming and but he's like no i want to do this i really want to record this i i love their music and slayer was convinced because he showed such an interest in them and he already had a pretty uh, strong reputation he had built for himself among hip hop artists and they thought, well, if this guy who is a record producer believes in us and he wants us to be his first metal band, um, I think we owe it to him to give him a shot. And 1986's Rain and Blood, the first album they collaborated with Rick Rubin on, is a stone cold fucking classic of heavy metal. You cannot find, in my opinion, a heavier album for the time period in the history of metal than Rain and Blood. I mean, that record, and it's so short, it's like 30 minutes. It's like just over a half hour. And I remember reading that, I think Dave, Dave Lombardo, the drummer, Kerry King, one of the band members, like had to double check when they were like um, mastering it or something around the console, like it said like, however long it was, it was right around 30 minutes. And like, um, is that correct, Rick? And he's like, yeah. And apparently part of what he did too is he just took the delay off the guitars and he really just stripped it down. And he let, he kind of got out of the way. And, you know, a lot of the 80s thrash is super overproduced and lots of gated reverb on the drums and vocals and, and, you know, delay and guitar and the vocals and just kind of this wall of sound type thing. But Rick Rubin was like, no, Slayer is brutal. They're a really heavy band. And I want to emphasize that by not using all these effects and masking their true nature, their, their power, their music. And that's what he did. And like I said, it was a smash hit and a stone cold classic. And I'd, I just remember, um, you know, bringing up my best friend Ray Ronan again, who I played in bands with, like, 
we uh, we really dug that album, and in our thrash band CWH, uh, we decided to cover us. Hmm. So what we did is we kind of, well, I I don't remember if it was I brought my copy or he brought his copy to rehearsal, and we took a break. And I, rem- I it was probably mine because I remember sitting in my car, and uh, the four of us in the band at the time got in my car. I turned it on and uh, put it in. A CD player and we were just going track by track like the first song is like um, Angel of Death and it's really heavy and Tom Moran does the ah! and it sounds like he's falling into the pits of hell with this absolutely terrifying scream and Ray's like he's also the vocalist as well as the bass he's like nope next next and we were just going through all the tracks nope can't do that too fast and I was like nope I can't do this one be like Dave can you do this on drums like nope so we're like fuck what are we gonna do it's like this is heavy as shit it's too fast and we can't play these songs we want to record we really wanted to cover a Slayer song so badly and we couldn't find one we wanted to do Rain and Blood because it's just like such a classic record it's like Master of Puppets or Peace Cells or you know the uh rust in peace the other being a one that's real big or you know fucking you know i would put sepulturas beneath the remains in that category as just a fucking heavy thrash absolute desert island type of thrash record that just is is heavy as shit and just blows your fucking head off just blows your mind um we really wanted to do a Slayer song. And then we finally settled on Postmortem, I believe it was. I think it's like the ninth song, ninth track on there. It starts out. And I could actually play the drums. And it was like one of the quote unquote slower songs on the record, but it still got really heavy. Toward the end, there's there was double bass. I mean, Dave Lombardo just killed on that record. Um, again, I mentioned him earlier as one of my favorite drummers. So, but yeah, like Rick Rubin's work on, on the Slayer records and Terry Dates work of like Soundgarden Pantera, two of my other favorite hard rock bands, um, Toby Wright with Allison Chains, I'd say Dave Jaredin, you know, the, the producers that worked with Allison Chains. Like I used to read the liner notes of these CDs, you know, I had CDs back then in the nineties. Like who produced this record? Who engineered this? Who mixed it? Who, who mastered this? Like I wanted to know. Like, I knew the band already. I knew the guys in it. Not not to exclude the ladies. You know, I, I listened to other bands too, that had women in it, like Bikini Kill and whatnot. But um, I came to metal. Unfortunately, it was predominantly male, and so I'm like, who are the? I know the I know the band members already. Um, who who made the who you know, operated the, the mixing board and the, the cons, the recording console and the faders and, and switches and stuff or whatever. Like I just knew these huge boards with like these, these sliders and faders and I didn't know much about it, but I was really curious and I was really interested. And next to being in a band that was touring the world and really successful I thought the next coolest gig would have, would be to be in the studio with these bands making records cutting albums and you know like looking back and saying I worked with this band and then you know if it goes gold or platinum you get a record from the RIAA the Recording Industry Association of America and it's like you can hang that on the wall you're saying I helped make that like you get a gold or platinum record or multi-platinum whatever from uh from the RIAA, just like the artists did, just like the the musicians, and, and I I thought that was fucking cool. And you know, even though I came from a punk and metal background, a DIY aesthetic, you know, you don't sell out, and you know, you, but still, like I also grew up with like huge bands like Nirvana and Metallica, and you know, Pantera and Megadeth were really big too. They were they were platinum bands. Um, you know, I think had a double platinum, a vulgar display of power for Pantera and. Uh, countdown extinction for mega around both around 1992 they I think they both went each went double platinum uh, which is unthinkable now a record that heavy selling two million copies no way now but 
there you go. So yeah, I mean, I really thought about it and there was a time where I was thinking about going to school for audio production. Um, I, I got my associate's degree in 2002 from Phoenix College and they have a, actually here in the Phoenix area a fairly well-known uh, music production program. You can also take classes in like music industry, music business, etc. Uh, but really, you know, learning how to use a DAW, I mean, now everything's like computer-based. So uh, digital audio workstation, which is usually referred to as a DAW. So when I say that acronym, um, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, Pro Tools is the industry standard for DAWs. Um, I use Steinberg Cubase. I uh, just purchased the $100 roughly uh, license for the elements which is like kind of the basic level. Um, there's uh, two different tiers above that. One is artist, I think, which is like three something, 340 or something. And then pro, which is what you would probably expect to see in a professional recording studio that does like big budget uh, films for Hollywood or te television or major label a recording artist, etc. Um, that's like closer to five seventy nine, six hundred, you know, five six hundred dollars somewhere in that that range. Um, but I just need the elements because I record music and I record podcasts. And right now I'm just recording myself and I play all the instruments myself. Um, I don't have a drum set at the moment, so I have to use like easy drummer or I found a free drum uh, virtual instrument or VST they're called for short for short um, it sounds like 1980s Motley Crue with gated reverb but hey it's a drum uh, it keeps time it's a drum sound um, so I can afford a kit again and also uh, I need to upgrade my interface and I'm going to talk about audio interfaces a little bit I'm going to get started here uh, talking about how to get started and how I got started and things I noticed and also advice I'd give. So, um, yeah, I thought about going, going back to when I was, you know, I'm 39 now. So when I was a younger man, my twenties, I thought about, uh, going to audio production school, um, either Phoenix college, or there's also the, uh, CRAS, C R A S, which is, a recording arts um it's like a conservatory of recording arts and science i think is what it stands for and there's uh two locations in uh the phoenix area one in tempe and one in gilbert i think and i toured the gilbert campus actually just maybe two years ago uh spring of 2019 uh, as late as as two years ago i was still thinking about going to recording school and I would have, it's about 11 months or, or just under a year, and I would have finished my program and gone into an internship, internship with a studio or somewhere right at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody's not leaving their house. So that would have fucking sucked. So I'm very glad I didn't do that. So, yeah. <laughs> um... I'm glad I didn't waste my money um, or spend or borrow all that money just to have it go to waste at least for a year or two or, you know, probably a year and a half. We're probably got another six months, five, six months till things get back to somewhat normal and people are going to shows and whatnot as far as music goes, uh, music scene. I don't have much of one right now because of what's going on. Obviously, safety first, health first, public health is important. But, yeah, so I'm kind of glad I didn't take that step, but at the same time, I wanted to record. And um, going back a few years, about 2013, um, I had just recently quit my last band. And I was having ideas, and I wanted to decided to buy... An inter uh, to record some stuff. 
So how I actually got started was, um, like I said, 2013, I started in earnest. I bought a MIDI controller keyboard, USB powered. It's like an Alesis Q49. It was like a base, the basic one. It didn't even have any like pads or drums or anything like that. It just had plastic synth action keys and like a volume and velocity wheels and a slider for MIDI values and USB powered. I think it might have had a MIDI out so you could like, if you bought a AC adapter separately, you could use the AC power and then you could with the MIDI out, you could power like a hardware synth that didn't have a keyboard or something like that. But I didn't use it for anything like that. I just used it for, you know, USB soft synths, they call them software synthesizers on your computer and you connect your MIDI controller with USB and it's pretty cool. And at the time, um, I was really into the Mellotron sound, you know, the classic a keyboard instrument that's really a tape machine uh, and samples. It's actually based on another keyboard instrument called the Chamberlain, which was the world's first sampler. So if you are uh, into hip hop or from a hip hop or techno background, um, a lot of people say the Chamberlain, the precursors to Mellotron, which was released in the 1950s, I believe, was the first um, world's first sampler. And really they recorded like string instruments and whatnot. And you press a key and you play, you'd select like a string choir or string chorus or whatever, or you could do oboe or violin or flute. Uh, and then the Mellotron in the sixties. And a lot of people may not know this, but the Beatles, Strawberries Fields Forever, that flute sound is not a flute. That's a Mellotron. That is a keyboard instrument. And I bought, it was called Mtron Pro, I think. It was like 150 bucks. It was software. And then I spent like, I got the MIDI controller on sale cheap, like 50, 60 bucks. So I spent $200 simulating a Mellotron, which they go on the used market for thousands. And you can buy a newer one that's like more digitized and more supposedly more reliable, but um, I couldn't afford that. So I got, it was an authentic sound. It was pretty cool. So I had a lot of fun with that. I recorded some stuff. I also had a song I wrote, but I didn't have a condenser mic back then. I had like a SM58 from, you know, playing in bands, like just had a mic or two. I might've had a, no, I don't think I had a 57. I didn't have any drum mics. Like I regret not buying drum mics, especially now. Like I could record drums and I regret not having my kit. Uh, so what happened is like 2013, you know, I sold, my drum kit after I stopped playing in bands and, uh, I was into some other things at the time, um, that are not related to music. So I won't go into them here, but, uh, I spent some of the money I, I got for my drum kit on that, but also like I, I bought that mini controller and I kind of wanted to do other stuff. And then in earnest, like I bought my first, uh, condenser microphone in 2015. So, um, I started recording then and then, you know, uh, been off and on since, uh, then I kind of got back into it. I sold a lot of my gear and I'm going to go over the gear I had. And then about a year and a half ago after my, uh, 38th birthday, I used my money to buy a $30 cheap microphone off Amazon that actually wasn't bad. And I still have it not bad for the money, but I've uh, gotten pretty uh, considerably better microphone since and I'm going to go over the ones, um, that I have. So, um, that's that for the introduction. And now I want to kind of talk about if you're looking to get started, um, how, how I got started and you know, what to look for, what you need. If you're, if you're not already in the know about that, I want to kind of go over that and hopefully some of you can, uh, that'll be an impetus for you to start making your own recordings. All right. So if you want to start recording, um, you need a few things. First thing you need is since everything, like I said earlier is on the computer, um, 
you're going to need a computer. Uh, it could be Mac or PC. doesn't really matter um, as long as you've got USB ports. And you should have, I'd say, at least 8 gigs of RAM or so as of 2021. 16 would be better. I currently have a iMac that's uh, about 7 years old. It's got 8 gigs of RAM, though. It uh, does well, but I have some latency issues with Cubase, my uh, recording software of choice. I'll go in more into what that means in a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, more RAM is better. You want faster processor speed. You want to have, don't have to have like a gaming PC, but a pretty good, uh, at least a uh, mid range or low to mid range um, PC or Mac. So you need the computer. If you have that, which most of you, most of you listening probably already do, you need an audio interface with a USB connectivity. You need a microphone. You need a way to what we call monitor or listen to the output. The cheapest way to start is how, how I started in, um, I would recommend getting headphones because you don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, and I think this is pretty timely because of the stimulus, a lot of people just got or are in the process of getting their stimulus checks from the federal government. They may be looking to spend that on home recording, especially because we're not quite out of the coronavirus pandemic yet. And some people may be looking to get to get into this. And I totally encourage that you could find it very rewarding. Um, but I would just say you need to make sure that you're buying the correct stuff and I'll make some recommendations for each of the things. So quick list, here's what you need. You need a computer, which most of you have already. That's pretty modern within the last, you know, five, 10 years. Most will do, uh, preferably 64 bit. Um, but that's, you know, Unless you have an ancient, I do have an ancient laptop. Uh, my mom gave me uh, years ago. That is 32 bit. I use that for playing old games like Doom and Quake. Uh, it's pretty good for that. It's good for checking email, but it's not really good for music production. I do have a I do have a MacBook Air that I got for web development, but also can use as a portable. Uh, and I'll also go over like laptops and uh, you know portable studio options. So you need an interface. Um, and then you need a microphone, you need monitoring studio monitors, which are speakers that are voiced neutrally so that you can hear not, it's not too bassy and not too bright. Um, but you should be able to hear the finished product of your recording and determine, you know, equalization or compression or any adjustments that need to be made. So it have to be not only good quality speakers, but neutrally voiced, or as they say, as we musicians say, flat. That means like an EQ, it's just a flat line. There's not too much bass or treble or mids. It's just even keel, natural, natural sounding. So you need those things. Um, a MIDI controller, like I was talking about earlier, a keyboard is a good idea. If, especially if you want to create beats for hip hop or you do techno music, if you do techno or hip hop, I would say a mini keyboard is pretty, is a necessity. Um, I do mostly rock guitar based stuff like grunge, punk, heavy metal. Um, I do want to get a mini keyboard again. I've owned like three of them and I always ended up like pawning them or selling them back to guitar center for money because <laughs> you know, struggling musician, starving artist syndrome. You know, I've had to sell a lot of my old gear. So I had to rebuild a lot of my gear. Um, but I've really gone back headfirst into it. So, um, I mentioned, so if you have a computer, the first thing you're going to need is an interface. Now there's different interfaces out there. The one I use, I've actually used it since 20, Six, uh, late 2015, early 2016. Um, I bought it for a hundred dollars. It's a Mackie Onyx Blackjack. It's discontinued. So, but you can find it on Reverb or eBay. I don't know how much, maybe 50, $60 or something like that. 
highly recommend it. Um, the preamps on here, which is what you plug into and that amplifies your tone. They're pretty high quality. I would recommend, um, I think they're called Onyx preamps. So any Mackie interface is going to be good. Behringer makes some good bang for your buck too. Another manufacturer. Um, the most common one is probably uh, the Focusrite Scarlets. Um, they're very distinctive and they come the, the outer uh, exterior of the unit uh, looks like a little box but it's uh, it's like it's like I don't know ruby red or something like that scarlet red focus right scarlets uh, they have different ranges of inputs they call it a solo that one's gonna run you about a hundred dollars that's that's got like one input and one uh, microphone slash uh, instrument preamp or line uh, all the way up to, I think they make 18 input, 20 output, and that has eight microphone preamps. And that actually will probably be what I upgrade to because it's like $550. And I, you can connect eight microphones. And if you want to record drums, you're going to need probably at least eight inputs. And I'm going to go into drums, recording drums a little bit, or how many inputs. So inputs, outputs. Um, outputs are like to your monitors, to... Uh, speak your speakers, your uh, other gear that you have, like preamps and whatnot. Um, usually, those are higher end studios. When you're first starting out, you're probably just going to have an interface because that's really all you're going to be able to afford. I mean, to get a decent microphone interface, um, headphones or monitors, and or possibly MIDI controller, I would plan on spending at least around three to five hundred dollars. Definitely under five hundred, you can get a decent home studio. And then there's also other things you're going to want to invest in, like acoustic treatment, which are those foam things you see in recording studios. Um, egg cartons on the walls will not do anything as far as um, absorbing frequencies. So you're going to want to invest in sound treatment, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But really, I want to start with the going going back to the interfaces, rather. Um, the Focusrite, there's other ones like PreSonus. Um, the cheaper ones are only going to have like one or two inputs. I have two inputs on mine. So I can record a microphone and a guitar or bass or whatever instrument input. Um, but if I wanted to record like a drummer, a live drum set, that would be very difficult. I could do an input from like a electronic kit using MIDI, the five pin MIDI into this interface or something like that MIDI to XLR or something like that. Um, but enough mics to record a drum set. I mean, you could just do two overheads, but you're not going to get a very defined, uh, probably useful drum sound that way. So you you could start with just one or two inputs. I recommend at least two. So that's what I have. And this has been a good piece of gear. It's pretty rugged. I don't like throw it, <laughs> throw it against the wall or anything, but or I don't really drop it or anything, but it's, it's held up nicely and it's got enough gain. And for those of you who don't know what gain is, gain is the, um, gives your microphone volume. The preamps have to have enough output so that you can hear your microphone because otherwise your microphone, you're not going to be able to hear it when you do your playback. And this is a pretty good, uh, what they call a clean gain with a lot of headroom, meaning you can turn the gain up which will translate to output volume, but it's the input volume, I guess, is the best way to think of it. Up almost all the way, and you don't hear any hissing or loudness or noise. And right now, and I'm going to, this is a good way to transition into microphones. I'm talking to a Shure SM7B, which is a $400 kind of intermediate level. Well, it's actually a professional broadcast mic, but it's, inter, it's uh, reasonably priced. Uh, it requires a lot of gain, and I'm speaking into it, and I'm using maybe like 75 to 80% of my uh, gain on this interface. I don't have a cloud lifter or another preamp or anything boosting my gain. So you're hearing this. Um, I did have to boost it in post-production, compression, et cetera, to make the signal a little stronger, but um, I actually had to back off on that a little bit because it got too strong. So this is a pretty strong preamp. Uh, Machionics Blackjack 2 by 2 USB recording interface. Look for them on Reverb or eBay. If you find one, you should be well under 100, like 50, 60 bucks. You find one, get it. 
they're good. And you just connect it to USB in your port on your Mac or PC and you are good to go and you can get started. And then you just need a microphone and I'm getting to that now. Okay, so microphones. Um, I'm talking to an SM7B. It's not my first mic. It's probably my first like pro mic. Um, you may think $400 is a lot of money for a microphone, but this is a, this is a bargain because it's a great mic. I have the large one screen on. So there's something called plosives where you make a p sound or b b p's and b's. Um, the smaller one screen that comes standard with it is not that great at rejecting those. So you can use a pop filter, which is that gooseneck thing with a little round uh, mesh screen that you see like when you're watching a TV show or a movie and they're in a recording studio and they got that thing over the microphone. It's called a pop filter. So you can use that with this or you could do what I do and not for the large thicker one screen, which I think looks kind of cool and it makes you sound like you're on the radio and it comes with the in the box with the microphone uh, sure includes it uh, as an accessory um, free of charge and it's pretty cool and I like it and I playing back as I monitor as I record this and I stop every few minutes and monitor how it sounds and I think in, it sounds pretty good right now hopefully you agree but um, yeah so um, this really is not going to be a mic most people are, are going to want to buy as their first mic. I, I've owned several mics before this. So my first mic was an Audio-Technica AT2020, and those go for about $100. And that's what I paid for mine about five, six years ago. That was the first condenser mic I owned. And it was okay. Um, something you have to uh, realize about condenser mics is... And this is a good time to introduce the concept of acoustic treatment. Um, they are more sensitive in a lot of ways than dynamic mics, which is the Shure SM7B that I'm speaking on that I was telling you about. And also the, I guess the little brother of the stage version is the SM58. Vocals, you know, has the, the round kind of globe grill silver. It's very famous. When you see somebody singing with a vocal mic, it's almost always the SM58 whether it's on TV or at a rock concert or American, like, you know, it's the stage mic. It's the, it's the gold standard for stage mics, vocal mics. You know, sure is a great company. They make very reliable stuff. Their, their mics are not, there's not a lot of wow factor with how they sound, but they work and they are reliable and you can put it through hell and they'll still work great. They're like, you know, Toyota or Honda reputation. They're the Toyota, the Honda, the bike world. And I drive a Honda Accord. So I, I like reliability. I like it when shit just fucking works. It's good. Especially if you're a giggy musician, you need your gear to fucking work. When shit doesn't work, that's not good. Believe me. <laughs> Those of your musicians have had gear break in the middle of a set or in the middle of a show or right before the gig, you realize you're fucked because your gear isn't working. That's not a good feeling at all. So um, I recommend for a first mic, you can get a Shure SM58 or an SM57. Um, you want to use one of those pop filters I mentioned if you go with the SM57 because it's meant to record instruments, but it's got a nice little bump in the mid, uh, I think upper mid range that can sound good on some voices. And in fact, um, I ordered a SM57 and I'm going to try it out and demo it AB with this. Uh, sure, I don't expect it to replace this, but I want to kind of see how my voice sounds on both. And I've already, in my last podcast, the Super Unknown, I did with the SM58. So that's a great mic. I've had that mic for years. I never use it on stage, but it's been good to me here in my home studio. Um, so I want to talk briefly about dynamic versus condenser mics. So Shure is well known. They make condenser mics too, but Shure is well known for the dynamic mics. Dynamic mics, I'm not going to get into the technical stuff, but dynamic mics are good at producing a focused, um, strong, clear sound. 
and they can handle very loud sounds. So they are the type of mic of choice for recording, uh, especially heavy metal music, uh, drums, loud guitar amps, etc. Yeah, Dynamic Mics, which sure is probably the biggest, most well-known company uh, that manufactures this type of microphone. Their microphones are literally the gold standard in the music industry for good reason. Um, it's not hype at all. I've, I've owned and used many Shure mics. Every single one has been terrific. Um, dynamic mics, they, they work. They're not sensitive and finicky like condenser mics can be. Um, they just fucking work and they'll, they'll make you sound good, especially if you don't have acoustic treatment. Um, I would recommend going with a dynamic mic. If you don't have much money to spend on a mic and you don't, can't afford acoustic treatment right now, start with the SM57 or 58. They're a hundred bucks each. Like I said, if you do the 57, make sure you get a pop filter. You might want a one screen for the 58. Um, just because if you're prone to plosives, it might be a good idea. But yeah, um, that'd be my recommendation. Now, if you want to do a condenser, the thing with condenser mics is they're more sensitive. They're going to pick up like... I share uh, the wall of my bedroom, actually the same wall that I sit at my computer and I do my recording with my neighbors and they have a young son and it can be very loud sometimes. They also have a dog that barks. So uh, sometimes I have to pick and choose when I record. Like right now I'm recording in the middle of the night when it's quiet. So I don't have to worry about that. But, you know, especially weekend mornings, like Saturday morning, Sunday morning or even weekdays when they're going to work and they drop him off at daycare or wherever he, they, he goes to be when his parents are working. Um, you hear a lot of the, the screams and the crying and whatnot. It's very common with little kids. So I try to, I, I like to record at night cause it's dead quiet. And like right now, I mean, just here in my bedroom recording this podcast and, so I would pick a quiet time. When you use a condenser, um, yeah, try to make sure it's as quiet as possible. Also, the condenser, you're going to want to invest in acoustic treatment. So um, if you want looking to spend $100 on a condenser, I mentioned the AT2020. There's actually a microphone that I own now that I purchased not too long ago um, that I would recommend over that one, and that's the AKG P120. Uh, for the rest of March, if you're able to buy it before the end of March, I think you can get it for $79 online at Guitar Center, Sweetwater. Amazon has it, um, but normally it's like 99 bucks. And uh, sub $100, I have not heard a better condenser microphone. But be advised, if you don't have acoustic treatment, especially as your ears get better and you know what to listen for when you record, um, if you have a typical square bedroom with bare walls and especially like I have tile on the floor, but I also have some foam up, some acoustic treatment. When you sing really loud or you yell or you like you, uh, re re you back off the microphone a little bit, it's going to introduce that room noise. And if you don't have a condenser mic or sorry, if you do have a condenser mic, you don't have room treatment, you're going to hear that more than if you have a dynamic. So if you don't have a treated room or it's not, you just don't like the acoustics or whatever, go with a dynamic mic. But if you, so, uh, bottom line, I would recommend the AKG P120 for a condenser. If you have some true room treatment and you can get room treatment, like on Amazon, I got some for 50 bucks. And then I got a couple extra panels for like 25 on sale at guitar center. I just actually installed those like this weekend. So, uh, and then you can buy this, some foam spray for 20 bucks. So just figure a hundred bucks for room treatment, a hundred dollars for a condenser mic. Uh, $100 to the interface. And um, a good set of headphones I would recommend is the what I'm currently uh, wearing right now. The Sennheiser uh, HD280 Pro. And I had to make sure I got the model number right. I found while I was cleaning today earlier, I found the instruction manual. So yeah, HD 280 Pro, they go for a hundred bucks. So it started with a hundred dollar interface, a hundred dollar mic, dynamic or condenser your choice, a hundred dollar headphones, hundred dollar uh, acoustic treatment. So you're at $400. 
the end, then you can buy a mini controller probably for a hundred bucks, hundred to 200, uh, depends. I'm not really going to go into the mini controller because, um, I not as much of an comfortable talking about that as I am the other stuff. So yeah, um, highly recommend room treatment, especially if you get a condenser. You can get away with it more if you have a dynamic like a SM58 or SM57. Or hey, if you decide to blow your stimulus check, you can get SM7B like I did. It's pretty awesome. Um, I think it sounds good, and I think you will too. Especially male voices tend to sound good. But also like podcasting, um, this is the podcast mic of choice. Joe Rogan, Sarah Silverman, Whitney Cummings, all use this mic. This is the exact mic I'm speaking into right now. And I'd like to, I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm always looking to see what other people use. I love, I'm a huge nerd. I geek out on this shit. So I love to know like what DAW Joe Rogan uses or his assistant or Whitney Cummings or Sarah Silverman, you know, but I'm not famous, so I don't have access to their, to those people to pick their brains. But anyway, um, maybe, maybe this podcast takes off. I can meet them at a podcast convention or something, pod, podcaster con or something that'd be cool anyway um going back to the recording thing so um like i said recap you need other than a computer you need a microphone a usb interface um headphones you can get studio monitors which are speakers i would really wouldn't recommend any that are under like 300 dollars a pair for the five inch speakers like uh cali audio makes a good one krk Yamaha's are a little bit more. Um, those are the ones I would recommend. You don't want to go too cheap. I'm not going to name names here, but there are some that are rather cheap and not so good. And if the monitors suck, your mixes are going to suck. And also, like, your um, finished product is going to, whatever you use to monitor headphones over, it should be pretty even. Like I really like these Sennheisers because they have natural deep bass response, but it's not too bassy. It's not distorted. It's a very clear, clean sound. Um, best hundred dollar headphones. I think you can buy. I used to own AKGs that were a little cheaper, but they were open back. These are closed back and closed back is just going to give you a better bass response. So I, you know, those are my recommendations. Um, sure, microphone at 58 or 57. SM7B, if you can afford it. Room treatment. Sennheiser HD280 Pro headphones. Um, a fo Focusrite Mackie Behringer interface PreSonus. Something like that you get for $100, $100 to $200. I mean, for under $500, you really can get started whenever. So if your tax and also tax season. So if your tax refunds on the way or your stimulus are both even better, you can really, uh, start rocking and rolling or, you know, or rock or rapping or whatever you want to do. Like, um, we're still kind of in this weird transitional time where it looks like the end of the, the COVID nightmare is, is coming, but we're not there yet. So take advantage of this time. And really, I would say if you've been thinking about recording, if you've got ideas, uh, let's get started. Like, and you don't have to be an expert. I don't know. I don't know everything. I I've been doing this for a few years now, but there's a lot of shit. I don't know. Like I'm not a fucking expert in any way. I wouldn't, I just share what I know. And, um, if I had to say like the biggest challenges have been, other than like the room treatment thing, like I'm kind of figuring that out. Um, I'm getting better with that. My vocals are sounding a lot better. You'll notice if you treat your room, especially the condenser mic, but even with dynamics, like you're just going to notice your vocal mixes are going to sound a lot better. You're going to need to use a lot less EQ in post-production. It's definitely going to make a difference. Um, highly recommend that. Uh, and then just neighbors being loud or, or whatever, not necessarily loud, loud, but you know, just noises in the neighborhood, typical stuff. Um, if you live off the grid or somewhere where you're isolated, that's probably nice, but you know, you can live in, in a civilization with the rest of us and still get this done. You just got to pick your spots. 
So like, I'm probably, I got to work tomorrow. So I, my day job. So, uh, I'm a webmaster kind of it guy. So I got to get my sleeve. So right after this, I'm going to probably head to bed. So, yeah. And then I would say like, if I had a regret, actually two, but they're kind of interrelated. Um, first regret is I didn't start doing this sooner. And part of the reason I regret it is not only because of the waste of time and all that and possible expertise I could have gained that I'd have now already instead of having to continue to work on that. But I mean, life, life is a learning process, so that's fine. I don't, I don't regret that too much. I just wish that I started the sooner also mainly because when I had a drum kit, I could have bought drum mics and I could have got used to recording those. Now it's like, well, I have to teach myself just like I taught myself Cubase. Um, oh yeah, I want to talk about DAWs real quick. So Pro Tools are the standard. I did mention it a little bit. I, I touched on it, but I want to talk a little more in depth. Um, try to go for the $100 plan. Most of them have a free trial that you can do for 30 days. So I recommend you do that and then find try different ones. Um, I, I tried... Uh, FL Studio and Ableton, also Reaper, and then I decided on Cubase. I actually haven't done Pro Tools. I've watched videos, uh, YouTube videos of people working Pro Tools. Major label studios, most professional musicians work in Pro Tools. You go to any major studio in the world, they're probably going to have Pro Tools. I hear Cubase is probably the second most common, and I just like how it works. And it's even got a podcast setup, which I have to modify. But it's got a podcast uh, template. That's the word I'm looking for that I, uh, that I use. And it's pretty cool. And, um, yeah. And then, like, if you want to do podcasting, you can certainly do that. I highly recommend this. Um, my buddy Billy Lowry, who I'm probably going to have on here within a couple weeks or so to discuss his new album coming out, um, we're going to broadcast or we're going to record it as house not broadcast live over the air because it's recorded um he uses ableton live i back in 2013 when i bought that mini controller and i was using the soft sense and whatnot the mellotron samples i was using ableton and i really liked it for electronic music it's really good for live performances and uh loopy and whatnot, but I prefer Cubase for just overall music podcasting as an all-purpose digital audio workstation, or as they're called, DAW for short. So I would recommend, uh, highly recommend the Cubase uh, free trial for 30, you get full access to the Cubase elements for 30 days, and then you can buy it for $100, Pretty fucking cool. Like you're going to like this software. It's when read the tutorials and the documentation at Steinberg.com. The Steinberg's the manufacturer and maybe watch some tutorials on YouTube and you'll get it. And once you start getting it and then you learn tricks, you'll be like, Oh, this is, this is pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, you know, get yourself an audio interface, a microphone, a DAW, some room treatment and some headphones and get started. You know, start rocking, start rapping, start your podcast, start your voiceover if you want to do voice acting. Um, I've worked with people who've done like audiobooks and spoken word and voiceover as their side hustle. Um, I've I've thought about doing that, but really my passion is music and podcasting. So because I I like to create, I like to be the one uh, at the helm, I guess so to speak, uh, creatively. So. But yeah, um, that's pretty much, yeah, I wish I'd done it sooner. Also, when I had drums and I could record drums, I've gotten better at that. Um, but you don't need to go to recording school. Just watch tutorials. Um, somebody on YouTube who's really good is, and he's controversial because he swears a lot. He's a middle-aged uh, man. He's a big-time metalhead and nerd. Most metalheads are nerds. I'm a huge fucking nerd. I gladly admit that loud and proud. Um, but yeah, he cusses a lot and he's over the top melodramatic. It's kind of his shtick. Um, 
but he's a very smart guy and he's very knowledgeable. He's been recording bands for 20 years. His name's Glenn Fricker. He lives in, uh, he's from Ontario, Canada. I think he's probably in Los Angeles now where he was uh, recently. So he's a good person to watch. Also, there's other ones too. You can look them up. But yeah, watch tutorials, get this stuff and get started. So yeah, the Hunsdonian hour is just about over. Um, it's I don't know about you, but I thought it went really fast. <laughs> Mostly just me blathering on about, you know, the what got me into recording and my early experiences. And, you know, um, but if you're thinking about doing it and you haven't done it, do it. Just j dive right in, jump in. You're not going to regret it. You're going you're gonna to wish you'd done it sooner. Trust me. Um, it's fun. You create, if you're like me, you're a creative soul, you have to create or you're just not right mentally, physically, like your whole, you're just off kilter, you're fucked up. You, you got to create. You're a creative soul, you're a sensitive soul, you got to be creating shit. You got to you gotta be creating things, not destroying. You know, create and you'll enrich your soul. Don't, don't destroy yourself by withholding those urges. At least I felt like, like I was when I wasn't creating and I was just focused on working a nine to five. You can work and still create and that's what I'm doing and I'm fucking happy. I'm a, I'm a happy guy right now. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm recording music. I, I, I did a thrash metal song. I covered a couple GG Allen, the infamous puck ripper. I, I did a couple covers of his this weekend. I had to use the fake uh, VST virtual drums, but uh, the, it's still working on getting the timing down. I had to play drums with my keyboard, but you know, until I can get real drums, I was going to buy an electronic kit, but it's like $550 and then 150 for a throne and 200 for a pedal. It's like, I could put that money toward a real kit and drum mics. So I think I'll do that. So the virtual drums will do for now. And then I'm just going to keep on in my journey and anybody wanting to start their journey. I wish you all. And I wholeheartedly encourage you to start today. Because if not now, when? Um, just fucking do it. Get it on. You know, get started. And you don't have to know everything. You're going to suck at first, but I suck too. Everybody sucks when they start out. So, uh, And if you want to learn an instrument in tandem with recording, I think that'd be really cool too. I wish, well, I started playing drums in 1992. So, um, back then like you pretty much had to you could record yourself like on a four track but it was like tape cassette tape or ADAT but I didn't have access to that I was a kid so my parents weren't musicians so they didn't have like a home studio I could go to you know what I'm saying so anyway um that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Hunsdonian hour it's looks like we're a little past an hour a couple of minutes but that's okay. Uh, Hunsdonian hour, just so you know, is relatively, uh, it's not, it's not a hard limit. So it could be 50 minutes, seven, you know, hour, 10 minutes, hour, 15, probably between 45 and uh, minutes and an hour and 15. So we're probably going to be about minute or hour in five minutes, roughly on this episode. And I just uh, want to close out by saying thank you so much for listening to me and hope you've gotten some good information. If you want uh, some more recommendations or you have suggestions for me um, that like for microphones or interfaces, whatever that's worked really well for you and you'd like me to mention them, maybe give it a shout out. Um, you can email me. I suggest you send the email to Dave. That's my nickname, first name. Dave at all one word, that's geekyguy.com. T H A T G E E K Y G U I dot com. That geeky guy, David, that geeky guy dot com. Uh, send me your recommendations, advice, compliments, snide remarks, <laughs> whatever. It's all good. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and I hope somebody's, I hope you all are enjoying this as much as I enjoy creating it and sharing it with you. So you want to start recording? I hope I've given you some uh, food for thought and giving you the impetus you need to get started. So I thank you very humbly for listening to this podcast and, um, I wish you well on your recording journey and I hope you make something really fucking cool. 
And if you do, send it to that email, david Send me a link to your SoundCloud or Bandcamp or whatever or YouTube channel, and I'll check it out. And if I really like it, um, I might arrange to maybe, I don't know, have you on this podcast because I'm going to have my friend Billy Valerie. So um, I love you all and take care.